This is the Washington State Indivisible Podcast, part of the Demcast Podcast Network. I'm your host, Stephen Cox. Today, with less than 100 days to go before the November general election, there is a lot of work to do, and Indivisible has a plan for that. We talk with co-founder and co-executive director Leah Greenberg about the launch of Divisible and about how you can get involved. That is ahead, so stay with us. As of this recording on Friday, July 31st, we are 95 days out from the most consequential election of our lifetimes. What we do during this time is, of course, crucial. And so I thought it'd be a great time to check in with our friend Leah Greenberg to learn about Indivisible's game plan, which is appropriately called Win Divisible. Leah, of course, is co-founder and co-executive director of Indivisible. Hello, Leah. Hey there, it's great to be here. Well, it's always great to have you here. And, you know, before we get started, I will just mention for those who don't know that you and Ezra are expecting your first child. Uh, It's incredibly exciting. And you said in a recent newsletter that you are more committed than ever to create a better world for your child. And I just want to let you know before we get started here that we all join you in that. Oh, thank you. Thank you. We're excited to um, have a child who is growing up in the Biden administration um, Mm, and to do everything we can in the few months to make that possible. Well, that is what Windivisible is all about, and I want to get to that in detail. But before we do, I would briefly love to get your thoughts on a couple of recent developments and Indivisible's response to them. Uh, first and foremost was Trump's tweet on Thursday threatening to delay the election. He said, quote, with universal mail-in voting, not absentee voting, which is good, 2020 will be the most inaccurate and fraudulent election in history. It will be a great embarrassment to the USA. Delay the election until people can properly, securely, and safely vote, question mark, question mark, question mark. What is your reaction to this? Well, I think it's important to be clear about two things. Um, The first is that Donald Trump does not actually personally have the power to delay the election. That is something that rests with Congress. Uh, Congress has shown no signs that they're planning to delay the election. So that specific thing is not within his power to do. That said, nobody should be confused or surprised by what we're seeing here, which is that Donald Trump has no attachment to democracy, has uh, an active aversion to free, fair, and safe elections, and is doing absolutely everything he can to undermine it in advance and quite likely will contest it afterwards. And, you know, we don't need to, like, do a lot of, um, we don't need to do a lot of work to read that into what's happening, right? Like, he has actually said out loud that he, uh, might he may or may not accept the results depending on what they are. He said the same thing in 2016. He has, you know, repeatedly undermined the concept of vote by mail. He's actively working to keep it out of any kind of congressional COVID relief response package. Uh, you, he's, you know, doing everything he can to destroy the post office. Like this is not complicated. He has a goal, and it's to undermine people's ability to vote so that he can stay in power. And you said in a response that Trump's tweets are a giant flashing red uh, sign that he plans to do everything in his power to disrupt, undermine and contest the election and that everyone needs to be ready for this. What do you feel like we should be doing to get ready for this? It's a great question. So uh, the first first, the best way that we can ensure that there is not a contested election is to win in a landslide that is a lot simpler than all the other options. Uh, And that is why we are going to be working incredibly hard to run through the finish line on this election for the next 95 days. But we also need to be prepared for the fact that um, Donald Trump will pull out every trick in the book to try and stay in power after that, if there is any possibility that he can. 
Um, and that could include everything from, you know, sending in the National Guard in advance to mess with polling places, particularly, um, you know, amping up voter suppression tactics, particularly targeting voters of color, um, doing everything he can, as, as we've mentioned, to just completely destroy the functioning of the U.S. Post Office or Post Service in advance of um, mail-in ballots, and then also um, stuff afterwards in terms of simply refusing to accept the results of in certain states. There's a real possibility, for example, that the tally or the um, the the ratio of votes for Trump versus Biden uh, on election day for in-person voting look pretty different than the vote by mail results. And, um, you know, a lot of potential for the chaos associated with COVID to give Trump, you know, little, little uh, things he can grapple onto in order to throw the results into question. And in that situation, we think it's going to be absolutely crucial that there be a full scale response on every front. Um, and there will be legal challenges. Uh, there will be political pushes. But one of the big pieces that we do have within our control right now that we can plan for is building the infrastructure for national mass protest. Um, and so Indivisible launched last month uh, a coalition effort called Protect the Results, which is basically about saying, Let's build in advance and plan in advance for the kind of protest that we would need in the event that Donald Trump refuses to accept the results of the election. And what's lots of things about a post-election contestation scenario are unclear, but we can actually kind of get some of this moving before and in advance so that we're not building it on the fly. And if people want to learn more about that, you can go to protecttheresults.com. I'll have that in the show notes. I also want to ask you about the GOP COVID bill. Uh, Senate Republicans just re- released their version of a relief bill called the HEALS Act. This is in response to the House Democrats' HEROES Act, which, of course, the GOP Senate has refused to take up. And I will note that today, this very day as we're recording, uh, Friday, July 31st, the CARES Act $600 uh, unemployment benefits are set to expire. What are your top line thoughts on the GOP bill? Look. This is just a it's a complete mockery of a bill um, or it's a mockery of a response. It's completely focused around the needs of corporations. I can't remember who said that this was it's as if the bill was written by COVID itself. If it were go, to go into impact effect, it would put a lot more people in danger of getting COVID by forcing them back to work in highly unsafe conditions. And it would do nothing for the many people who are um, being thrown into deeply economic or deep economic distress by the impact that COVID has already had. Um, it also obviously does nothing for election security and safety um, or the post service. That's, you know, as we discussed, part of the plan. Um, it's just a complete uh, indictment of the Republican approach to governing, I would say. Now, I think one of the things that we've seen over and over again throughout this is kind of like the overall Republican philosophy of government collapsing in the face of a in the face of a challenge that really does require a whole of society effort that requires social cohesion, that requires people to take care of each other, um, that requires an active and engaged government that believes its job to actually support and protect people. Um, the, the GOP approach is just insufficient on every front and actively detrimental on a lot. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't agree more on that. Are there specific provisions that you think the Democrats should absolutely go to the mat for in negotiations? You mentioned uh, postal service funding, election protection, other things? So I think the thing with a big package, I, I, those are absolutely crucial. And like we've said, these are crucial to the ultimate functioning of our democracy. Democrats sometimes have a tendency to think of things like election funding as a technical issue that nobody cares about. One of the things that's really great about the Indivisible Network is we show up and make clear that these are things we really care about because we see them as crucial to how our democracy continues to uh, stagger forward. 
Now, in addition to that, the thing with these big smorgasbord bills is um, usually you get a package like something like the House passed, which is a largely Democratic uh, response. Then it goes to the Senate and there is some kind of an interim period where people are trying to compromise and get together something that can pass um, with a bipartisan response in the Senate. Um, the two bills are so far apart right now that it's like hard to totally imagine what it is. But ultimately, you're assessing one of these smorgasbord packages as uh, are the things that we like in there better than the things that we don't like in there? And is it roughly the right scope? Nothing that has passed so far has been remotely of the scope that is necessary to actually make people whole in this crisis or to actually deal with the crisis of uh, the pandemic itself. Democrats are going to be fighting literally for things like testing. Um, it is absolutely, un it is almost unimaginable that we could be this many months into a crisis like this and one party's position on testing should be we shouldn't fund it. But here, that's where we are. Um, and that's a direct result of Donald Trump. Now, I would say there are a whole set of things that we have fought for in the past and that we ultimately would think that Democrats should go to the mat for. Part of it is like the scope of the bill overall, how much relief is going directly to people. Um, part of it is key provisions like uh, like democracy reform or democracy uh, protections. Um, part of it is immigrant inclusion. This virus does not uh, impact people's or this virus does not discriminate based on immigration status and the response cannot discriminate based on immigration status. Um, we are facing, uh, our immigrant neighbors are facing enormous pain and harm due to the virus, and we absolutely have to make sure that they're included as well. During this time where there are going to be negotiations, I'm wondering what you think uh, Indivisible members should be doing, and specifically because we are in a state here with two Democratic senators, what should we be pushing them to do? It's a great question. Um, so first, we want to have their backs. We want to make sure that they understand that we want them to hold out for a good package that actually gives people the relief that they need. This is such a hard situation for Democrats because they care about people. Unemployment benefits are expiring today. And the amount of pain that people are facing all over the country is simply unimaginable. And that is real. And also Republicans will constantly, you know, this is the classic um, it's a classic hostage scenario crisis where Republicans will use the fact that the other side actually cares about people in order to extract their own concessions. And so ultimately, Democrats need to believe really firmly that um, what they need to hold out for is relief that meets the scope of this crisis, that meets the actual needs that people have, um, and that ultimately does not undermine our democracy by ensuring that we have what we need for November to go well. So let's shift over and talk about the election. Uh, as I mentioned, today is 95 days until November 3rd, and you just launched a plan called Win Divisible. So tell us about that. What is it? Well, Win Divisible is our plan to beat Donald Trump, uh, to flip the Senate, and to hold the House. We are targeting um, 18 states uh, for the Electoral College, for the Senate, and for key House races in order to make sure that we do just that. Um, and it is a unified uh, voter contact plan. So we're going to be taking in folks from individual groups all over the country, plugging them into the most important races to actually achieve our goals, um, talking to voters through our data system, and reaching out to people via texting, via phone banking, and via letter writing. So uh, whatever you like to do, there is a way for you to contact voters, and we need to because we want to make 20 million voter contacts over the course of the next or several months. Well, it sounds like you're off to a great start. You said in a meeting the other night that uh, Florida alone has made over 70,000 contacts. Am I getting that number right? Yeah, Florida has been rocking it. Um, look, across the country, every, uh, 
indivisibles have been showing up. We had over 200 events this week alone for our first week of action. Arizona had 33 events just on their own. Um, what we're seeing is people are fed up. They are ready to finish the job with Donald Trump. Um, they are showing up all over the place to actually talk to voters and, and just getting ready to do the work. Um, it's going to look different than it did in 2018. It's going to be more texting and less knocking doors. But that doesn't mean that we're uh, slowing down in any way. We're, we're texting from our homes. We're calling from our homes. In some cases, folks are getting together for socially distanced texting parties, uh, whatever, whatever it takes for us to reach as many voters as possible. Well, you know, since you, you bring that up, previously we have been told, and, and I believe the data show, that one-on-one canvassing is the most effective way to do voter outreach. Do we have a picture of how effective these other approaches are? Um, so the short answer is, Door-to-door canvassing is the gold standard, and it's unfortunate that it is just not on the table right now for, sure. for everyone. Um, the different methods depend. Like we are only doing things that have um, really, you know, that have really significant data and study behind them, indicating that they are good uses of volunteers' time. Um, but it depends depend on who's your target, who's your list, and when in the cycle are you reaching out to them, right? So earlier this cycle, as part of the payback project, what we were doing was texting progressives in states that had Senate races, not necessarily to get them to vote, but to get them connected with local indivisible groups. So building up volunteer bases for local indivisible groups in those states. Um, And, you know, that's because there's not a lot of data suggesting that you want to text people about an election in February before the election, right? Um, Whereas you might want to be doing uh, door-to-door issue canvassing during that time. Um, So all of which is just to say what what our commitment is to folks who are joining the the Wind Divisible program is that we're trying to match the data or match the lists of voters that we're reaching out to, to the method, um, to the state and strategy, and make sure that you are using your time in the most efficient way possible. Absolutely great. And, you know, that was a question that came up at the launch meeting. And another that came up that I would love to get your thoughts on is about potential duplication of work, because there's so many people and groups working right now, campaigns, state Dems, progressive groups. So how are we avoiding duplicating the work? It's a great question. It's a great question, right? There's nothing more frustrating than being like the fifth person to knock on the same door, right? Um, so the short answer is, so there's obviously the coordinated side and the independent expenditure side. Um, we are running our program on the independent expenditure side, which means we're not coordinating directly with campaigns. So we are not you know, connected to the same list that the campaign is connected to in any of these specific states. That said, we do a lot of coordination with other groups that are working on the independent expenditure side. Um, you know, everyone, uh, we will be plugged into the state table. So that we're actually dividing up and making sure that we're targeting the right list of voters in coordination with uh, other key independent expenditure actors. So what we're trying to do is make sure that on that side, we're all coordinating and we're all sharing in order to make sure that you're actually reaching out or you're not duplicating with six other organizations. I also know that you are offering training for people who may be first timers to this uh, texting and making phone calls, not really know what to say. Uh, people can get a little nervous. Uh, so you're, you're offering that. There's also a virtual boot camp on August 8th, which looks pretty exciting. It's got special guests. Uh, what can you tell us about that? So the virtual boot camp is our big kickoff event. Um, we are going to have, I'm excited to say that we're going to have Ayanna Presley um, speaking to kick off the boot camp. Uh, it is going to be welcoming in volunteers and group leaders from across the country, uh, getting them ready, making sure everybody's got the skills we need to be plugged into the Wind Divisible program, 
um, thinking about how we're going to build additional volunteers and recruitment into the program. Um, if you are a experienced group leader, if you are a person who is new to this whole texting, phone banking thing, um, we will have programming for you. Uh, we are, you know, looking forward to just making sure that we create a space for people who uh, can, who can, who are going to be part of our program to make sure that they are trained and excited and ready to go. I will have a link for people to check out uh, for the boot camp as well if they're interested in that. And also, you know, you mentioned weeks of action that are coming up with some 250 events planned. What can you tell us about that? So these are virtual events led by local indivisible groups um, all over the country. So you can actually check out our map um, to see if a group near you is holding a virtual event and get plugged into that. So if you are new to texting, if you're new to phone banking, um, you actually have a community who is literally part of your community that you can participate in these um, in these activities with. So, you know, as we are we're a group based movement, we uh, we want to make sure that as we're taking action, we're doing it together. That animates the vision behind the weeks of action, which is a collective indivisible movement action that animates the way that we do our work, which is we want to make sure that we're making um, we're helping people be rooted within and supported by a local indivisible group wherever we can. Um, so the idea behind these is that we want you to we want you to be doing the work and we also want to make sure that you're connected with your local indivisible group. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of more important right now than ever because I think there's yeah. a sense of isolation that a lot of people are yep. feeling. So however we can get together and work together, I think is very empowering. Uh, where can people learn more about Wind Divisible? There is a URL, yes? Yes, there is. Um, if you go to 2020.indivisible.org, um, we have everything you will need to get started get started um, kicking Donald Trump and all of his cronies out of office. I love that sentiment. Uh, and I will let you go. I just have one last question. And I was thinking about this as I was preparing for our, our talk today, that you know, this is kind of what it all comes down to, right? This is why we got involved in, in 2016. And I'm wondering, or 2017 for a lot of us, I'm wondering, did you have a concept of what this moment might look like back when you and Ezra started everything in 2016? Well, I, I guess what I would say is that um, on the macro level, nothing about how Donald Trump has behaved in office has surprised me. Um, we thought when he was elected that he had no commitment to democracy. We thought the Republican Party had no moral center. Um, we were, you know, we couldn't possibly have imagined some of the, the things that he would get into, but um, nothing about, say, you know, the way he treated Ukraine surprised me. I will say some of the COVID response has surprised me, just the sheer, the sheer uh, incompetence paired with malice. Um, but would you just say, like, uh, I, I, I'm not surprised that we are in a moment when um, the country has been run into a ditch, people are suffering enormously, and Donald Trump is callously focused on his own riches and power. Um, what has surprised me, obviously, is that you know, we've built this incredible movement of people who all reacted in 2016 by saying, you know, I thought somebody else was in charge here. I thought that somebody had it. Uh, they don't. Um, I am going to step up. I'm going to build the local power that's necessary to actually change the situation. And we've kept going over the last four years and continued to build and done amazing things together. And so um, I, you know, I, I wasn't surprised by some of the bad things that are happening, but I have been so incredibly proud and, you know, humbled to be part of a movement that has been doing the work to push back and that is in striking distance of pushing Donald Trump out of office and ultimately uh, building something better in his place. Well, I just want to say thank you for getting all of this going and uh, we are ready to do the work. 
<laughs> we are ready. Leah Greenberg, thank you so much. Thank you. Always great to join. And that is it for today. Our website is indivisiblepodcast.org and our email address is indivisiblepodcast at gmail.com. The Washington State Indivisible Podcast is a production of Get Creative, Inc. and is part of the Demcast family of podcasts. Learn more about Demcast at demcastusa.com. Thank you this week to Kenny Palmer and Emily Reyes. Special thanks to Lori Caldwell. And as always, my thanks to you for listening. We'll talk to you next time. Bye. Bye.